I am Emily Lyons. In 2011, without a high school degree and with no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. Since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be utterly lifted and shifted by these people too. All inspiring people are inspired people, so get ready to be inspired. the incredibly inspiring McKinney Smith. McKinney is an amazing human who has overcome so many obstacles in her life to not only survive, but to truly thrive. She is an award-winning entrepreneur, a podcast host, a media maven, and a four-time published author. You are going to want to hear her story. I love this woman, and I hope you enjoy this interview. McKinney, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, yeah, the tables have turned. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. That was a while ago, actually, that I was on your podcast. Yeah, because we're celebrating the two-year anniversary, and you were on within the first six months, I believe. Wow. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So tell everyone who you are and what you do. Wow. Uh, Where do I start? (laughs) It's a loaded question. (laughs) It's a super loaded question. I mean, I'm going to say I was the little black girl that grew up in government housing that you know, against all odds, turned out on the upside thriving. Mm. I, you know, grew up to a single mom. We moved around quite a bit. And, you know, I I had my first child at 17 and society, yeah, (laughs) society kind of looked at me like, okay, well, your life is over, but I was out to prove them wrong. Mm. And not only did I, you know, I go, I went on to graduate college with honors, but I went on to, you know, become a full-time entrepreneur that I've been for the past 11 years. And starting my entrepreneurship journey was at the beginning of a divorce and my sister passing away and all these things that were happening. But I harnessed all that energy and put it into things that helped others, you know, to build their resilience muscle and now, you know, 11 years later, four books later, a podcast later, mindset coaching and having the opportunity to be mentored hands-on by Bob Proctor himself and his family. It's just changed my life completely. So what initially made you want to become an entrepreneur? Interesting enough, I went straight from being a stay-at-home mom for four and a half years to a full-time entrepreneur. <laughs> I was... <laughs> I when I was on mat leave with my last child who is now turning 15, I had some uh, issues with the pregnancy. So I was off from about 25 weeks um, in the pregnancy and going back to work after that, at the time, my, my husband at the time was like, you know what, why I make enough, you know, to provide for the family. Why don't you stay home for a while, take care of yourself and the kids and we'll go from there. And I ended up being home for four and a half years and when I decided to file for a divorce, I was like, okay, well, what can I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I looked at the lifestyle that you know I had provided for the kids or that they were living. And I was like, I didn't grow up with all of this. So I could do without if I had to you know, suffer for a while. But what about the kids? 
And I thought about professions that would allow me to basically have the amount of income that my ex-husband at the, my t- at the time was making, but still be able to be there for my kids. And when I thought about entrepreneurship and things that I enjoyed at the time, I went into selling real estate because I loved looking at homes. I loved you know, helping people to basically make major decisions in their mm-hmm. life, you know, and being able to connect with people on that level, because it wasn't just about the transaction. It was about the relationship, you know, why they wanted to live in a certain area or what it meant to them or the value that it brought to their families and the legacies that they'd be able to leave behind with these real estate investments. But being a full-time entrepreneur, you know, new single mom of three, I was able to have that flexibility where I could still drop my kids off to school and make sure that they had a warm lunch and be home in time after school to help with homework. And, you know, I put in a lot of late hours so that I could still be up at night researching properties for clients and doing what I needed to do. But I was able to, you know, bring my kids with me to showings, you know, they'd stay in the car, what have you, but it allowed me that flexibility. And once I you know, I guess found my footing as an entrepreneur, I started to look at other, I'm going to say avenues where Mm -hmm. I could be self-employed and and serve. So when my sister passed away in 2012, her passing kind of put my entire family into this state of depression. And after about six months, when I, you know, came out of not being able to function, you know, having people reach out to me with what she meant to them, sending me messages and emails and all kinds of things, just sharing what she meant to them made me ask myself, you know, how do I want to be remembered? What legacy do I want to leave behind? Mm -hmm. And that's when I started digging into personal development for myself and realized everybody needs to know this. (laughs) (laughs) So I ended up becoming a personal development mindset coach and life has completely taken on I'm going to say this, this path of helping other people to tap into their full potential and strengthen their resilience muscle and just view life differently. And it's just been a blessing. Wow. So what do you find is the biggest hurdle that a lot of the clients come to you with? Majority of the time, they're just the ones standing in their own way based on their own Mm. beliefs and their own perceptions. You know, oftentimes we make excuses, oh, we can't do this because, or, you know, once I have this in place, I can do this. But in reality, it's our perspective towards a thing. You know, oftentimes where people are concerned with what someone else is going to say or think. And if there's one thing that my mentor Bob Proctor says all the time, he says, you know, if you look at what people do and you listen to what they say, they will tell you and show you that they are not thinking. So it's getting people out of that mindset where, you know, they're focused on the outside voices and getting them to tap into that inner voice of, you know, who they are, what they should be doing and how they should be serving and making a difference in the world. How do we reframe that dialogue, that internal dialogue that we have? Because a lot of it is built, you know, up throughout our life and our experiences. Absolutely. A lot of it is built through conditioning, you know, our childhood and how we were raised and the things that we heard and the people we surround ourselves by. But because as people, we are, we are programmed. It's like a thermostat, you know, you set the thermostat in your house. I don't know if you say you want it at 75 degrees, but then you open the door 
whether it's winter or uh, summer, the temperature is going to change because that door is open. But the minute you shut the door, the thermostat is programmed to bring, mm-hmm. you know, the house back to that same temperature. So as people, we're the same. We're programmed to be a certain way. And if we don't intentionally uh, change our habits, and it's, you know, people assume that if you make these really huge drastic changes, but that puts a shock to the system and the mind is programmed to like find anything that it loses. So, you know, if you want to lose a hundred pounds or you want, you can't do those things drastically, you have to do them over time in order to keep them off. So because we have all these stories that we tell ourselves in our head and all the things that we do by habit, it's changing small things that give you those compound effects. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that we tell ourselves, like it's great. Yes, we do have, you know, positive affirmations, but if you don't believe it, then it's not going to do anything for you. So as a coach, what I work with my clients to do is to help shift their mindset, their beliefs in a thing and getting them to take action because it's great to be inspired, but if you're not actually taking action, then it's not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, getting people to take small steps in their life at a time to make those small changes where they start to feel confident in their ability to do a thing. And that's where the confidence comes from. Hmm. And seeing the results. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think for me, the results are in the routine, you know, what we do consistently over time. And we don't realize that even something as simple as what we consume on social media affects our thoughts and our feelings and it affects our actions, which affects our results. So it's being mindful of the things that we do, being mindful of the things that we consume, being mindful of the things that we say, the conversations we have, who we spend time with, or I should say invest time with. It's looking at all areas of our life where we can make small changes that make Mm -hmm. a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I find that a common misconception is because, you know, as coaches or entrepreneurs or just generally people in the the public eye that because we, we say these things and we we, you know, we try to, to live by them, of course, that people think that we have a, have a perfect life. <laughs> you ever find that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so so I, I laugh because, you know, people have, people will have an assumption of you based on the image that they have of you. Right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have all these pretty pictures on our social media. So they assume that our life is perfect. They assume that our life is great. They assume that we don't have struggles, but no one's life is without struggle. We all have struggle. But as someone who studies these principles or who coaches others with these, there are these are coping mechanisms. It doesn't mean that struggle doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that we don't have hard times. We just have coping mechanisms in place so that when hard times hit, it's easier or less challenging for us to get through it and a little easier for us to get back up on our feet, to be resilient, Mm -hmm. to get back up when we get knocked down. It's like the struggles still come, the load is still there, but it doesn't feel as heavy to carry it because we have things in place that help us through the process over time. (laughs) I'm pretty transparent on social media sometimes. So sometimes for some people, they're like, wow, you just shared like a whole lot of information. Was that really necessary? (laughs) Especially in my stories. Like I still suffer from anxiety. I still, you know, go through breakups. I've, you know, there are things that happen and I'm human. So people have this, like I said, perception and 
as people, we think in pictures. So someone can see a picture and create a whole story around your picture. And that's their perception that they've built up of you. But that doesn't actually mean that that's fact. Or you could be smiling in a picture on social media for a second because it was a photo shoot and you're in a good mood that day, but you're dealing with depression or anxiety or health issues or what have you. They don't know outside of that one split second that you were smiling, what you were feeling or what you were going through. So they have this story that they've created of who you are, what your life is, which is not actual fact. So I'm, I try my best to be transparent, especially online or even on my podcast to share my struggles so that people can see that despite the highlight reel, despite, you know, the, the glitz and glamour, whatever that you see that you've built up in your head, I'm a human being. I mm-hmm. also experience what you experience. I also suffer from all kinds of things, whether it be health issues, mental health issues, you know, as women, the imposter syndrome, all these different things, but I get back up and I keep going. And you recently beat cancer. Yeah, I had, (laughs) I sometimes struggle to use the word, but it's like, I went through, I went through a a couple years of a, a process where, you know, at first it was, you know, the abnormal cells in the cervix. And I did laser surgery to remove that. And the the surgery was not successful. And then I had a small cyst in my uterus that because I was continually going in every month at the hospital for PAPS to make sure that, you know, the cells didn't, um, like things didn't get worse, they removed, I had an IUD in for birth control. And when they removed that, that caused the cyst inside to grow. And it started to grow where it blocked one of my tubes on my right side, which caused like hemorrhaging. So I was hemorrhaging every month. And then that caused my iron levels to drop below healthy levels. And because I already have an autoimmune disorder, I didn't want blood transfusion. So then I was on iron transfusions. And then they did testing of the cyst and found that that it was abnormal. They wanted to test even further because they did feel that it was cancerous. So then they recommended that I have a hysterectomy. So I had to remove my cervix and my uterus. And after the surgery, I had complications because of the autoimmune. And for months, like what was supposed to be a six-week recovery ended up being way over six months. And then they thought that I had colon cancer. And then, oh my so emergency, yeah. so then an emergency colonoscopy and all kinds of tests later, they found out that when I was having the hysterectomy, I contracted a C. difficile from the hospital. Oh my gosh. And then, so, <laughs> and then you know, you can die from it if it's not treated. Yeah. It took three months for me to get proper treatment and wow. they wanted to hospitalize me for 10 days. Like it was just a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Just one thing um, after another, after another. One thing after another. So I spent all of 2019 basically in bed functioning, you know. So 2020 was out. your 2019. <laughs> Absolutely. So when people talk about, you know, 2020 being canceled in the pandemic, I'm like, I'm sorry, but this is nothing for me right now. Like, yeah, you're living. <laughs> I'm like, I'm thriving oh. in 2020. <laughs> How did you still balance work with all of that going on? So interesting enough, um, I even spoke about this on the one year anniversary of the podcast, how the podcast kept me going. You know, when I had my moments where I was severely depressed and questioning whether or not I was going to live and survive another day, mind you, I was 39 at the time and my sister passed away at 39 from complications with the same things. So I was definitely dealing with some PTSD there, but I, I shared how having conversations, hearing other inspiring women share their stories of resilience and how they were still able to continue to inspire, that lifted me up every day. 
you know, being able to still coach other people to reach their goals or help other people to publish their books or do all of those things, it kept me on a high vibration instead of in my own head, dealing with my own, Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to say my own woes. So I focused on helping other people with their dreams and the joy that they had, that vibration lifted me up and kept me going. Yeah, I find the same thing. You know, people ask, how do you work when, when trauma is happening? But it, it makes me feel so much better. Mm-hmm. It's my joy. Absolutely. When you're, Absolutely. Helping, when you're helping others and like I use the word serving. Yep. And that's how you know it's your true passion. You know, some people, some people will serve, you know, from a narcissistic standpoint, you know, they want the accreditation or the credibility or the, you know, popularity or whatever those things are that they want from that. And that's great for them. But when you're serving truly from a inner place, when times get hard, it's not like, you know, I, you know, don't say I quit. I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore because if it comes from a deeper place. It comes from a genuine place. So I'm going to say that genuine, I don't want to use the, that genuine feeling that you are being a good person, that you're making an impact in the world, that you're helping another person. When you're going through stuff, if it's not coming from a selfish place, those things will lift you up because you know that you're helping somebody else. You're excited about helping. You're excited about serving. Mm-hmm. I think that's too the, the differentiator for the really successful people. Mm-hmm. It's funny because um, there has been, I was just thinking of this the other day because there's this little well, it's not actually, well, there's a restaurant in Stratford where I'm staying at the moment. And in this, this place where it is, since I was a kid has been failed restaurant after failed restaurant after failed restaurant. And this one that's been in there now for years, uh, it's called Circle, it's just been thriving. And so the the owners, this, this woman, Kelly and her partner, uh, Melinda, but when I went in there to pick up something for my mom the other day, because she loves their, their food, they wouldn't let me pay. And she'd written like a little note on the packaging to my mom that it was made specifically for her with love. And she mm-hmm. was like, it'll heal her because we put love in everything we make. And yes. I was like thinking like, this is why this place is so successful. Like there's yep. lineups down the street and I was like, <laughs> and it's because <laughs> they truly love what they do. And I was like, that yeah. is just so beautiful. Yeah. And that's, I've, I've got goosebumps as you're saying that right now. I've got and, goosebumps. And it's funny because she was saying, Kelly was saying to me, cause my mom was a nurse for 30 something years. She took care of Kelly's father when he was in hospital passing away from cancer. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she was like, you know, everything just kind of is connected. But yeah, I was just, I was, I was thinking of that and how it just shows again, just when yeah, you Absolutely. And because not only does it show, like people feel that, right? Yeah. Energy is transferable. People talk, you could, you could call it spirit, you can call it energy, you can call it vibe, call it whatever you want, but it's transferable. So if you do something out of love, that energy, that vibration, that spirit is felt. And that makes someone else feel good. And mm-hmm. then not only will they want to continue to, you know, work with you or, you know, use your services or come to your business, but they will tell everybody else about it. You exactly. Know? I told so many people. <laughs> I took pictures of the packaging and I sent it to so many friends. Yeah. You know, and she was like, if your mom needs anything, you know, just let us know if she needs snacks for the hospital trips. And she's like, anything she wants, it's on me. I, I love that. <laughs> I love that. 
And when it comes to being able to like, even, you know, the fact that you said that their business is thriving in, you know, when you think about manifestation and, and people who are like super manifestors, they're able to attract things because it comes from a pace of love. Mm-hmm. You know, they're on that high vibration. They're doing things genuinely out of love. And that just like has a ripple effect. And do you think that uh, has been one of your big keys to success? Absolutely. And I think because I became a different person after my sister passed away, because I used to be angry and very negative and, you know, all of those things. But when I changed and evolved as a person, I became aware of not only my own behaviors, but it helped me to understand the behaviors of other people. But just coming from a place of love, coming from a place of positivity, coming from a place of service and understanding how that affects not just me, but the whole ripple effect. I genuinely strive to be that way through everything that I do. Like in my own household, in my room, when nobody is watching, it's still coming from a place of love. Even when you send an email, if you think about, you know, when you respond to someone's email, Mm -hmm. if you are in a bad mood, (laughs) like that email is not going to be received the right way. If you're writing that email Mm -hmm. from a place of love, even if it's an email saying no to an opportunity, but if it's coming from a place of love, that energy is felt. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you now, how did you get into writing? Because you've published four books. Mm -hmm. How did did that come to be? So when I went through my divorce, I started going to like women's support groups and I was just sharing my story (laughs) and women Mm -hmm. were like, wow, like that's crazy. And then when my sister passed away, I continued, you know, with different support groups and women's groups and sharing just different parts of my story. And people were like, wow, that is so crazy. How are you still able to be, you know, so positive after you experienced, you know, and I'll list the things that I went through that are in the book, like from, you know, having my ex-husband cheated on me with my best friend to, you know, like all kinds of things. (laughs) And people are like, but you're still so positive. How? So instead of continuing to share that story, like one-to-one, everyone was like, yeah, you need to write a book. And that was my way of sharing it one-to-many. And then it took on a life of its own where after the first book, I had women from Australia and all parts of the US and all parts of the world reaching out to me to tell me that they felt I was writing their story. So my transparency built a connection and, you know, people wanted to know more of how I was able to be positive. And the second book came about because I just shared the affirmations that I had used to help me heal. And then through being mentored through Bob Proctor and his wife, Linda, came the gratitude journal because gratitude is actively practicing gratitude is a huge thing for them. So Mm -hmm. that was something that I took on that made a huge difference in my life. And after publishing four books, like when I say that, you know, 2019, I wasn't well and I was still serving, that was the year where I started publishing other people's books because I wanted, you know, I was behind the scenes. I was in bed behind my laptop. Like, how Hmm. can I, you know, help other people? And I started working with a celebrity ghostwriter who gave me some amazing clients to publish. And it just, like I said, just took on a life of its own, especially because I, I knew the process from doing it myself. So then after having a few celebrity clients, I decided this year to make that something that I offered to my clients as well. So, you know, we all have a story. We all have a story and our stories could be someone else's survival guide. 
-hmm. I know that me sharing my journey has helped so many other women to be able to walk into, you know, their own greatness and watching other women get to now come out of whatever dark place they were in, into a place of light to serve and now helping them to document their journey or their lessons. It's again, something that just brings me so much joy seeing people who once believed that they weren't a value mm-hmm. to now know their worth, you know, people buying copies of their book, them becoming best-selling authors. Like, those things excite me. Mm-hmm. How did you learn how to do all that? How to publish books? <laughs> <laughs> it came from a nightmare experience. <laughs> so the first publishing deal that I got after my sister passed away became a nightmare. Like that publisher, basically, you know, I had met through LinkedIn and they told me that I could pitch my synopsis to them when I was ready. And I did. And they had used some other big name thought leaders and said, yeah, we've published them. So I just took that as credibility. I didn't do my due diligence. And I invested, I think it was like $12,000 to start. I didn't even finish all my my payments and realized that, that they were not who they said they were. And they basically told me that my writing, when I submitted my first draft, they're like, wow, so you've had a hard life, but so what? Like they made me feel like crap. And if I had allowed that to sit with me, I would not have gone on to publish four more. So they, you know, I think I ended up connecting with a boutique publisher shortly after that and invested like $5,000 because they said they would, you know, take care of, you know, the cover, the editing, all of those things. And as soon as I had my first book launch, realized that the printed version wasn't the edited version that went out. And I had hundred, like I had a hundred people on the coldest day in February in 2014, show up to my book launch at the Battersea Museum and realizing months later that they received an unedited copy of the book. There's just, there was a lot of things and just having to learn the process of redoing it on my own and the nightmare (laughs) and the frustrations that I had to go through. And I didn't want anyone else to ever experience that. I didn't want anyone else, especially women to be taken advantage of by another publisher, realizing that there are so many people out here that can become authors and want to become authors the hurdles that are in their way are not hurdles that need to be there. So me being able to use my past nightmare experiences to say <laughs> to them, okay, I've, I've been through beyond a nightmare, but I can help you, you know, become a published author within the next month. And they're like, what? I never thought it would be possible. Mm-hmm. So me having to go through that learning process of doing it mis- myself and going through the mistakes and now being able to, you know, help other people is just. I've heard a lot of horror stories of people (laughs) and publishing agencies. It's funny. I heard a a friend, she's a best-selling author and she was saying, do not ever, ever go with a publisher. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. she has a very, very popular book. I I don't know if she'd want me to say it because she's Mm -hmm. actually in a legal battle right now, but she was Mm -hmm. like, honestly, if I could go back, she's like, yes, I was on the New York times bestseller list. She's like, but they, they took everything. Right. It's like they yep. own everything. They took everything. If I could go back, I would do it all on my own. And that is like a huge reason why I do what I do, especially for women, because ownership is important. Mm-hmm. A lot of these oh, uh, publishing companies, not only are they charging you thousands of dollars to publish your work if you don't have an agent, but then they're also taking 
sometimes more than 50% of your profits. So you've invested all of this time to put this together, especially if it's your story. And they not only want to take a huge percentage of your profits, but they want to control everything. Like my first publishing deal, you know, I didn't get say or, or, you know, final say about my cover and all these things. I'm like, this is my story. This is my life. So now what I do is I, once I set up people's accounts with the distributor, it is your account. You own it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's all about ownership. I'm not taking any percentage of your profits. You keep your copyright, you keep your profits. It's all yours. You did that work. So that ownership is important. That's the other thing I hear is that, that they're all, they always want to change things. Oh yeah. Make it like more generic, more marketable. Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, a friend of mine, he published books and and then he, he first self-published and then he got picked up by a big publisher and they changed it all Mm -hmm. and just made it like another generic self-help book. Yep. Totally took away what made it unique and what made it his story. There are a lot of people who are on bestsellers lists that, you know, they've invested a lot of money to publish their books and I know a few people that basically they're like, I wouldn't do it again that way because mm. not only did they, it cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars to get credible people to give them endorsements for their books or for them to even get on the bestsellers list or all these things. And they're like the money that they put out, they never got back in book sales. So going through the self-publishing route, not only am I making it so easy and accessible, but they get to keep all of their profits. Like you're in the plus, not the negative. (laughs) And then, so if they're self-publishing it that way, how do they market it? Is that all up to them? So it depends on the author. So I've done a lot of work with people who are already clients with huge like social media networks Mm -hmm. and platforms. So their community is super supportive and they become like, I had a client who became a bestseller in the first six hours in pre-orders. Wow. But it's she had a huge social media following. So there's there's different ways that you can market your book. But what I say is your book is like a, a glorified business card. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes people will assume that if they write a book, they're going to get rich off the book. No, it's what you do with the book. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have two people that, okay, let's say you've got two makeup artists and one makeup artist published a book, that makeup artist, she can charge more for her her makeup services. Mm -hmm. She can put on workshops and, you know, sell more books. She can get speaking opportunities with her books. She's leveraged herself as the expert in her industry with her book. So all of her fees can now be premium fees. Like there are so many different things that you can do with a book once you become a published author that are outside the revenue of the book. Mm -hmm. My friend Ron Tite, he's got several books that he's published. The first ones he did with, I think, HarperCollins, and then he went on to self-publish. But he was saying what he does is, because he does a lot of public speaking, so any public speaking deal he has, they buy, so if he's speaking for 200 people, they'll buy 200 copies of his books and give it to everybody that attends. And I was like, what a great way to leverage sales of the book, like to build it up. I thought that was pretty brilliant because he does so many speaking speaking engagements every year all over the world. Um, Yep. But yeah, That's, he was saying something very similar. It's basically his his calling card. Yeah. I mean, I recommend that to my my clients as well. And I'm doing that actually this week with the two-week, uh, sorry, the two-year virtual event for the podcast. Every guest gets a copy of the Gratitude Journal. So it's just incorporating I need to get one of those. 
yeah, it's just, you know, you incorporate it into everything that you do and, you know, people share it on social media because they love it. And then you get more sales out of it. Did you have to hire a ghostwriter at all to help you or did you write it all yourself? No, I wrote mine myself mm-hmm. and I do, because I work with a ghostwriter to publish my clients, like I, that's, you know, it's an expensive, an expensive process if you hire a ghostwriter. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I, I joke with people sometimes, but I'm like, to publish or to hire me to, you know, publish your book, it's cheaper than it costs you to edit your book. You know, some people, if you require developmental editing, that's, you know, you can spend a couple thousand dollars, you know, it's, there's so many, I'm going to say different fees involved, but yeah, ghostwriters can be pretty expensive. Hmm. So I definitely wrote my first book myself. But like, how did you find for a lot of people, I find that they just kind of push back, push back, push back with finishing the, the book because of mm-hmm. writer's block or whatnot. How did you set this goal that you're going to finish this book, write it all, and then achieve it? Did you have a timeline broken down? So funny enough, back then when I wrote it, I hadn't I hadn't become a mindset coach yet. So the stuff that I use now to help people with their goals <laughs> is so different, like how to break it down. But I kind of did something very similar where I knew that I wasn't interested in writing a book. I was committed to writing hmm. a book. You know, people often say they want to write a book, but are you interested or are you committed? Because if you're committed, you're going to do whatever it takes to get it done. If you're interested, you're going to have a million excuses. So <laughs> I was so committed And I made sure because, you know, I was selling real estate full time. I was a single mom with three kids. I made sure I scheduled in time every day to write Mm -hmm. and saying to myself, okay, well, I'm going to write a thousand words. Then that kind of put me within, it kind of restricted what I could do and also made me feel like, oh, well, what if I don't write a thousand words? But it's, if you give yourself, you know, I don't know, an hour a day or two hours a day, it's more than nothing. And instead of forcing a certain amount of words, it's whatever flows. And oftentimes people will get writer's block because they're so focused on the task itself. Mm-hmm. But in order for us to be creative, like we need time to rest, you know, do something fun. And that's when the creative creativity comes. So if there were days where I scheduled time to write and I couldn't think, then I would listen to a motivational podcast or read something else that interests me. And then it would spark and trigger other things within my creativity. Then I'm like, hmm, I should write about that part of my life. <laughs> so it's, you know, not being hard on ourselves, giving ourselves grace, especially with writer's block. But I definitely scheduled in time every single day. And I think when I wrote the first draft, I wrote that within three months. And wow. I had taken time off of real estate because as soon as the kids left for school, I was writing all day and I made dinner. And then after they went to bed, I was up writing till three o'clock in the morning. But like I said, I was committed. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get this done. And when it came to the final draft, I think it took me about a month, but that was making that commitment, scheduling, scheduling it in every single day. Is that how you now tell your, your clients to achieve their goals? Absolutely. So Absolutely. Schedule it in There's, every day. You've got to schedule it in and you've got to make sure that you're doing something every single day towards your goals. Like I know every day I can write down three goal oriented tasks and three like personal tasks that I need to do for the day. And I check them off so that I can hold myself accountable. You know, it makes you feel good, Mm -hmm. but it's being intentional with everything. And you do that every morning? 
every day. I've got my whiteboard in my room and I also write it in my gratitude journal every day. So I've got, I've got systems in place and things that I do every single day. Like I tell my clients that they should have one hour a day personal development. So whether that be reading or listening to a podcast or, you know, learning something, but one hour a day and you'd be so surprised at the results that you get in your life when you dedicate that time to yourself, that commitment to yourself. So with everything that you've achieved, what, what do you think has been your, your biggest accomplishment today? Aside from being a mother, (laughs) 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 in terms of biggest accomplishments, I don't even know if it's tangible. Mm. I mean, the awards are great. The recognitions are great. You know, the media coverage and stuff is great. But when I get messages from women who say, you know, your book or your podcast or your social media post helped me get through chemo. Or when I get messages, like those are the things that are the biggest accomplishments to me. Those make me cry. Those keep me going. Those like give me life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, those are, those are intangible. It's making me tear up. (laughs) (laughs) It's true though. Everything you post, I know for me, they, they, they stand out when I see them. Thank you. They make you feel something. Thank you. I think, yeah, you are, you're changing a lot of lives and paving the way for a lot of people. Thank you. I appreciate that. I love the the saying you have, resilience made me do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did you come up with that? Where did that come from? So I guess everything that I've been through, I didn't necessarily see myself as resilient until 2020 started. Wow. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting, right? <laughs> I've overcome so many things and I've always been told by other people that I was resilient, but I didn't believe it myself until 2020 started. And I look back at everything that I was able to to do and they say that your confidence comes from your competence. So the times that I doubted myself or my ability to do a thing. And I look back at all the things that I did do. You know, when I think about my past severe fear of public speaking, and I look at all the stages and the thousands of people that I've been able to speak in front of, like, wow, I did that. So it was, you know, looking at overcoming going through the divorce, looking at overcoming losing my sister, my grandmother in the same year, looking at overcoming all of these things. And I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness, I got back up after that. Wow. So when I had that saying, resilience made me do it, you know, I was thinking like for the past two years of me doing the podcast, if I could list all of the things that I've been through that someone else would have quit. Like, I don't think I have enough paper in my notebook. Mm-hmm. And it's like, everyone has that ability to be resilient. It's, it's, a, it's like a muscle. We just need to strengthen it. And I think we don't give ourselves enough credit. Mm-hmm. And me making that decision to even have the, you know, that saying came because I decided to do the two-year uh, anniversary virtual event where I was like, oh, I've been through so much. I could have quit, but resilience made me do it. This is why I'm doing this. Mm. So I actually had my daughter who's a tattoo artist uh, just about a month ago I had her tattoo on my arm resilience is my superpower Aww. and uh, <laughs> it's it's on my forearm now and uh, I just well it was only originally launched 
who like people, the people in my newsletter and the, and the speakers for the um, event, but it's now live on the website. As of yesterday, we've now got resilience is my superpower merch. You know, people can I buy pillows and mugs. Yeah. She's all about that. She loves yeah. the, um, the inspiration, but yeah, someday she, she forgets. And then I'm like, you gotta remember who the heck you are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We forget, right? When you're in that down moment and you're in your feelings and you're just looking at your current circumstance, you forget how strong you are. Mm -hmm. But if you take yourself out of that and you look at everything that you have overcome to this point, mm -hmm. like every, everything that you have been through in your entire life, you've, you've made it to this point. So you're stronger than you think. Mm -hmm. You've made it through a hundred percent of your worst days. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the other day she went around the house when she was feeling good and she put post-it notes all around the house to remind herself. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so I like love I that. that. On the mirror, beside her bed. Like, you can do it. You can kick ass. Get up. Fight. Yes. You remember those constant part. reminders, right? Because when you're feeling terrible, you know, she's battling cancer. And on those days, she still won't use the word cancer. Mm -hmm. And he said that she just won't, the C word. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. when she's feeling so terrible, she, she forgets those things, you know, and she just, she'll be like, I'm not going to eat. You know, I feel awful. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you got to remember who you are and get up and fight. And fight. There's a woman, I got goosebumps as I'm saying this. Whoa. So there's a woman that I interviewed on the podcast by the name of Faith Walker. And I cried when I, the entire time recording that episode with her, because one, I call my community faith walkers. <laughs> so when, <laughs> when someone recommended that I interview her and I was like, oh my goodness, yes. but this woman has battled so many levels of cancer, like sta stage four metastatic cancer she's had for like 12 years. She's gone through breast cancer, lung cancer, spinal cancer, like all of the cancers. And then the day that we recorded the podcast, the week before, they had told her that she only had a 24 hours left to live. What? And exactly. And she, it's been months and she is thriving right now, filming music videos. And she's actually going to be speaking at my event this week. So it's her resilience is so inspiring and her strength to continue to go on. And she uses her story every single day and her music to inspire other people to keep going. Like she is, she's a superwoman in my eyes. My second mom, her name's Nancy. About 20 years ago, she got diagnosed with uh, stage four abdominal cancer. It was all through her, wow. her organs in there. And they told her she had six months left to live and she's been cancer free for 19 years. She got offered to do an experimental treatment. She was like, absolutely do mm -hmm. it. She went to London, Ontario. They basically, it's like a 12 hour surgery. They took out every organ, scraped out the cancer, did chemo wash through her body. But, mm -hmm. uh, she's alive. She, she was tubing on the back of the boat this summer. Like wow. she's the healthiest woman you'd ever meet. Wow. And she was like, and she says that she's like, it's all mindset. She's like, at first I was like, I was, I was sad, you know, she's like, and then I thought, no, like my boys need me, my sons need mm -hmm. me. I'm not giving up. No, this is right. not happening. And something yeah. switched in her head and she just was in fight mentality and she's here. And, and since then she's been able to see her kids grow, her granddaughter. And uh, yeah, she's that is so, so beautiful. Life. But like she said, she's like, you know, because when they, 
gave my mom the diagnosis. They gave it, they called me the surgeon and they said she has six months max left to live. Wow. And so first like I broke down and was just hysterical sobbing. I'm like, how can I lose my mom now with everything going on? And she's the caretaker for my brother. She's been his caretaker his whole life because of his CF and his learning disability. And it was like, mm-hmm. how do we go on without her kind of thing? And mm-hmm. then, you know, then a, a half an hour later, I was like, okay, no, we, there's gotta be something else. There's gotta be a way we can solve this. And it turned out she has um, an EGFR mutation which opens her up. It's something because she has stage four lung cancer. Um, and wow. it's something that's common with non-smokers. So she's never mm. smoked a cigarette in her life, but she's had wow. asthma since like her early twenties, they think from secondhand smoke when she was little, because her mom used mm. to smoke. Yeah. So they, they tested for this mutation and lo and behold, she had it. And so it opened her up to treatment with some of the latest treatments that have just come out within the last few years. And there's one wow. A targeted drug therapy that specifically targets that mutation and corrects it. And so there's people like the the oncologist was saying, he's got patients that were yeah only they only thought had a few months left, and it's going on year three on this treatment. Right. It's just it's wild because it's like yeah, I think it, when the doctors give that diagnosis, it's almost a disservice because people give up. I was I was going to say that I think it should be illegal for them to do that because mm-hmm. doctors are not God. They don't have control over telling someone that they have six months to live or 24 hours to live. You're going to make it that way. Exactly. Like if these people are not mentally strong, then they would give up. And so I immediately, I had, it was funny because I had a a friend, she is an oncologist and it was just, it was, it was funny because we've been friends for years. Never did I think I'd be calling her for cancer advice, but like I called Mm -hmm. her after this, an hour after I, this surgeon had given me this diagnosis and I picked myself up off the ground and Mm -hmm. she said, okay, there are so many new treatments out there. I would take what this surgeon's saying with a grain of salt, honestly, because there's so many options out there. You don't know. Right. And it's, it's so true with everything in life. You don't know. And like, you know, when I think about that same woman, Faith Walker, it's like 24 hours, they told her that she was going to pass away. And 24 hours later, her her body was like, nope, uh, I don't think so. Yeah. And everything just started functioning again. You know, the <laughs> beautiful thing, too, is that she thought she had very minimal time left and she took the time to have, to do a podcast to help other people. Listen, I told you I cry, I cried my butt off. <laughs> I, I had to mute myself the entire time because I was sobbing. She is just a, a beautiful human being. And that, that's like, it's like my mom. When uh, I took her to Emerge in July, before we knew any of this was happening, she, she had had a bad cough and her respirologist for asthma had been closed because of COVID. And she started getting back pain. And she was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just from working around the house. And finally, I forced her to go to Emerge. Mm-hmm. We're sitting in Emerge and they're testing her for a blood clot or a heart attack. And she's sitting there worried because I haven't had breakfast. <laughs> I'm like, there's just certain people like you where she's carrying on. You haven't had breakfast. You need to have breakfast. You're going to get cold. It's cold in here. You don't have a sweater on. The AC is black. And I'm like, Mom, calm down. Would you just stop worrying about me? She's like, well, you might as well tell me just to die right now. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, there's just some people out there where they just, you know, that's just who they are. They just live to help other people. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful, honestly. Like I mean, if more people in the world cared about other people, you know, wh- where would this world be now? Like it would be so different. Oh, so different. If there was less selfish people in the world. 
thank you so much for chatting <laughs> with me today. So where can everybody find more information about you and all that you do? Um, you can Google McKinney Smith or Walk in My Stilettos. It's everywhere. <laughs> the website is a walk in my stilettos.com or McKinneysmith.com. Instagram, I've got uh, the Walk in My Stilettos page and I've got McKinney Smith at the real McKinney Smith because someone else is using the McKinney Smith and doesn't use the page, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening for the page. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the podcast is the Walk in My Stilettos, uh, the books, Walk in My Stilettos. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on two years and everything that you've accomplished you. and overcome. I think you're absolutely amazing. Thank you so much, Emily. I truly appreciate you for not only, you know, asking me to come on and share my story on your podcast, but you've inspired me so much since the day we connected. So thank you. And I'm excited to see your podcast reach the two year anniversary coming soon. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again.